0: Hello and welcome back to the Blockchain.com podcast. My name is Garrick Heilman. I'm the head of research at Blockchain.com and a visiting fellow at the London School of Economics. Today I'm joined by Blockchain.com co-founder and vice chairman, Nick Carey. As part of our Crypto Basics mini-series, today we're unpacking the term Web3, the so-called future state of the internet. The term Web3 encompasses a multitude of areas spanning crypto, non-fungible tokens, decentralized autonomous organizations, DeFi or Decentralized Finance, and even the metaverse. By the end of today's episode, you'll find out what are the key differences between Web 1, Web 2, and what we're now calling Web 3, where the term Web 3 came from, and how to decipher the Web 3 buzz and hype so you can get more involved and know how to navigate the space. So Nick, welcome back to the podcast.
1: Thank you very much, Garrick. Um, well, we've got a lot of terms to define today, but I think we'll need to take a little trip uh, down memory lane and uh, maybe revisit what the difference is between uh, Web 1 and Web 2.0 when analysts and industry experts sort of talk about that. So maybe give us your definition for what Web 1 was and then how it evolved uh, and sort of gave new tools and uh, enabled new business models in the form of Web 2.
0: Yep. So, so very, very high level history tour through the uh, internet and, and web one and web two. So the, the internet and when it began is something that's debated. Um, you know, We look at the uh, introduction of foundational protocols like TCPIP in the early 1970s is kind of a key milestone in the history of the internet. But many people consider the, the, the web to have started, of course, with uh, Tim Berners-Lee. And, um, and, and that all kind of took off in the 1990s. And a lot of the original thinking around this early web, web one, as we call it, was that this would be open source and decentralized and and permissionless. A lot of the things you hear about today's uh, cryptocurrency system. However, starting in the early 2000s, we had the rise of what we call web two. And this is where we really see platforms like Facebook coming into existence and uh, really building kind of more tightly controlled walled gardens where they're is permission and, and, and restrictions on access. And and things are kind of siloed into fiefdom, so to speak, controlled by today's big tech companies. And many of the early folks involved with the internet looked on that as, as something that was problematic and have gotten really excited about the prospect of returning to something more like Web1, uh, a more open, permissionless, decentralized, less um, tightly controlled by a tech oligopoly kind of internet system. So that's at a high level, kind of what the differences are between web one, web two, and what people think web three could, could be like. And Nick, I think I'll just right turn to still- you now, maybe you could, maybe you could share your perspectives uh, on, on web two and, and what are some of the problems with that, with it?
1: Yeah, so um, if Web1 was sort of a world where um, anyone could go out and discover and read and host their own server and set up their own uh, email client, um, Web2 sort of centralized a lot of the web experience, standardized user experiences, but also started to aggregate enormous amounts of personal identifying information, search criteria, metadata, and more. And that became extraordinarily valuable. Um, The Web2 companies that you mentioned, businesses like Facebook, Google, Twitter, and YouTube, really turned user behavior into a commodity that those businesses would then extrapolate precious information from and then use that to advertise to people. And so I've got sort of a story that's kind of interesting. In 2005 or 2006, um, I was an intern for a tech company, and we were working on ad software. and. One of the pieces of technology we were developing was looking at different weather patterns in the United States and then geo-targeting uh, advertisements for people searching for, for example, different types of clothing. So you might go to an online shop and search for a red jacket, but decide not to buy it. And a cookie would be placed on the website that you visited on your computer. And then what we would do is a week later, detecting that there was a winter storm that had come uh, was coming into your area, would serve an advertisement with the same a red jacket you looked at in that e-commerce store a week earlier saying, bundle up, it's going to get cold. Now, that's where the technology was almost 20 years ago. The advancement of uh, all of the data that has been um, essentially aggregated in these large tech platforms is now uh, really being called into question. And so the pendulum, in many ways, is swinging back the other way to make sure that individuals and users um, have more control and agency over the footprint they're leaving on the internet. So in a lot of ways, um, the challenges uh, on both the policy, the security, and the privacy uh, side that we're experiencing today, everything from, you know, what kind of data is true um, on social media and whether or not uh, that uh, the information and the footprint we leave is being used against us, I think are very valid concerns and questions. Um, and so especially when uh, the users themselves become, um, you know, their, their precious sort of personal search history and everything else becomes what is mined. Um, you know, where does, you know, your personal agency uh, on the internet sort of, uh, where are the lines where a business has responsibility over using that information appropriately and when not? And so there's a bucket load of uh, regulation um, and, uh, you know, that is coming down the pipeline, both in Europe, you've seen that in the form of GDPR, um, passed uh, recently and then also in the United States real discussion um, on Capitol Hill uh, about you know these tech monopolies and whether or not um, they've sort of overstretched their mandates and so um, the problem with web 2 in a lot of ways is that uh, we've just seen uh, repercussions I would say from the technological design and a lack of uh, competition in the market and uh, those should be concerning for um, any society that wants to develop an innovative, um, you know, in, uh, innovative entrepreneurial environment. So we're moving on now, and there's a conversation about Web3. So if you think about the evolution of any technological movement, there's sort of improvements. So Web1 happens, Web2 happens. We learn about some things that we're not happy about, so we start to revisit maybe what are some of the ingredients uh, we would want to have if we could reimagine a better form of the Internet where maybe you can read, you can read and write, You can read and write and own some of the content um, that you are personally contributing on the Internet. And that's where things get pretty interesting because now we have the emergence of new business models. So um, maybe, uh, Garrick, I'd love to ask you, um, what what does Web3
0: mean to you and where does the term Web3 or Web 3.0 come from? Yep. no, I'm really glad you <clears throat> brought in the data point because I, I think ownership of data is really a, a crucial part of kind of what people are imagining web three could be. and And as part of that, data has become incredibly valuable. You know, data is often described as the new oil, uh, this incredibly valuable asset or commodity that today, uh, you know that value really accrues to the major platforms that we've mentioned, the Facebooks of the world uh, that that hold our data. And individuals who are contributing to those platforms, using them, certainly getting some services and, and value for free often from the major tech platforms, there, there still maybe an imbalance between how much value is accruing to the big platform versus to the individual. And I think uh, one of the things that blockchain technology certainly could help facilitate in a Web3 world is this idea of individuals having not only just more control from a privacy perspective of their data, but actually being able to benefit financially, you know, from a value perspective more around what they're contributing to, um, you know, the internet and, and, and what they're sharing and and getting more value out of that. So that's a big part of kind of what it means potentially for me and what's, what's exciting about it in terms of where the term web three comes from. We're going to go to again, to Gavin Wood, Ethereum co-founder, founder founder of the Polkadot network all the way back in 2014, around the same time he introduced to me, uh, a, a, a very helpful. Uh, example of what is a smart contract. I've used this in my teaching for years, the idea of a, uh, a GPS collar around a dog, you know, kind of uploading data to a smart contract to automate, uh, automate payments to a dog walker. Uh, Gavin also coined uh, the term Web3 back around 2014. And so it's been out there for a while. Um, but I think the reason it hasn't really caught on and become a buzzword until, you um, you know, more recent times is because a lot of what we kind of imagine as Web3, things like decentralized file storage and uh, decentralized computation and other non-monetary kind of broader use cases of blockchain technology really haven't um, come to the forefront uh, until recently and, and become more part of the kind of crypto story. Um, so, So that's why I think that term is helpful because it speaks to you know, a world beyond just financial services and and DeFi, another topic we'll we we'll be covering in our crypto basics series, and speaks to things that, you know, sometimes don't have anything to do with money and are more about just kind of a, a broader kind of reconstruction and reimagination of the internet as we know it and, and services like social media, file storage, et cetera, that are not necessarily financial services applications. Great. Yeah,
1: Gavin has always sort of been a, 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 I would say a thought leader on that space and um it's always interesting to hear his perspectives. So, um I think like if we look at it also realistically today there's certainly a lot of noise um and uh in the space and so what are some current concerns around web web3 the vocabulary that's being used um you know can you elaborate a little bit about that so we can present a balanced perspective today?
0: Yeah, so this this term web3 is certainly uh, a, a hotly debated term, and, and there's different views uh, on on what's being described as Web3. Uh, some very positive and, and some more critical. And some of the more high profile criticism has actually come from um, you know inside the cryptocurrency community uh, in some ways. You, you've seen um, Jack Dorsey, for example, the founder of Twitter. Uh, Elon Musk, uh, you know, criticizing uh, the concept of Web3 and whether it's really going to deliver on its promise in terms of its level of decentralization. Um, You've seen some some people who have historically also been very critical of crypto um, also joining the kind of, you know, the bandwagon, criticizing Web3. So I think in some ways, some of this isn't totally new. Um, You know, there there have been critics of blockchain technology and cryptocurrency uh, of course, through the years, and and some of this criticism is just a carryover um, from that earlier criticism to this new term Web three. I think it also speaks to the fact that the internet is such an incredibly important, um, you know, technology uh, that has such a huge and growing impact on all our lives. That that labels matter, and and frankly, I think Web three is a very um, successful positive positive framing of of. You know what's happening with the evolution of blockchain technology, starting to eat uh, away at this kind of centralized Web two world, and and some people don't like that, and so there's going to be some contentious arguments around around this, and uh, and and that's 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 kind of kind of at a high level where the concern is. Getting more specific into the concerns, I think you know there's there's questions around. You know how decentralized is Web3? And it's a fair point. I think you know, you know Bitcoin is held up today as one of the most decentralized networks in the world, but it didn't start off that way. You know Satoshi Nakamoto founded it. It uh, could have been a single individual in the beginning uh, operating it. It's become more decentralized over time. And I think that's kind of the, the thing I would argue with the critics of Web3 is that it's not realistic to expect new protocols, new applications, are being built to be kind of fully decentralized from day one. That's just not how this works. It's a process, and and uh, it's true that today a lot of Web three is is probably less decentralized than than the founders and many in the community would like to see it get to eventually. Um, so concerns about how um, you know safe it is. You know we we've seen of course new technology you know, like any new technology, it, you know, there's bugs, there's there's things that can go wrong, you know, and it's important to kind of, I think, under underline the experimental nature of where Web3 is today for anyone kind of looking to get into it. Um, you know, in the DeFi space, for example, we've seen, you know, exploits and hacks and and losses of funds. So I think, again, anyone listening to this needs to understand that Web3 is still pretty new and it's being battle tested as we go. And and you do need to kind of do your own research and, and understand uh, you know, what are the risks involved with participating in Web3?
1: So one of the things we're hearing now is that uh, Web3 basically may uh, enable some emergent new business models where um, participants in the network can actually share in some of the economic benefits of the activity within that network. So let's talk a little bit about what that might look like. Um, I think there's a real strong argument that Web2 incumbents are concerned about a change to their own business models so can web3 um, maybe you know bring um, an end to some of the tech giants of web 2.0 and, and maybe what would like a web3 social media platform maybe look like um, is it possible that there'd be a competitor out there to a twitter or a facebook someday is that is that real, is that a reality that we could see ourselves in
0: yeah, I, I certainly think so, and it's interesting to see some of the biggest Web3 critics are, are from the Web2 space and have certainly some business interests with defending the current current paradigm. I, I think one of the best ways to explain to everyday folks uh, an example of a Web3 application that they could themselves imagine using is, is decentralized file storage. So a lot of people use cloud storage services like Dropbox or Google Drive uh, or Box, Etc., and and um, you know those are run by companies uh, that that earn profits uh, and have control of data uh, for us. And and some people see something better potentially through a Web three decentralized version of Dropbox. And basically, how this could work is, and how this does work with platforms like Filecoin and others is, you know, anyone who has a computer uh, and has extra unused hard drive space on that computer could basically uh, contribute that extra unused hard drive space in kind of an Airbnb-like fashion. You can kind of rent it out to a decentralized cloud file storage network and be compensated for doing so. So it's a way to take underutilized capacity, extra hard drive space you're not using, and monetize that. Just like if you're away for the weekend and your flat's available and you wanna earn some extra money through something like Airbnb, you could do that with your hard drive, or there's ways to do that even with your, your CPU, your, your computational power that's underutilized and so on. And so it, for me, it's an exciting way. The economist to me gets excited about, you know, putting underutilized resources to work and also helping individuals, uh, you know, monetize assets they have in their possession that currently aren't really easy to, to make money on. And, and, and that's one of the exciting things about this kind of peer-to-peer Web3 network that, that's being being developed.
1: I think that's a, I mean, those are real-world examples today of Web3 technologies um, uh, at scale, which is pretty exciting. I think if you look into the future and peer over the horizon a little bit, you can imagine a world where um, I would participate potentially on a social media platform whereby the content I create, the more uh, likes it gets, the more followers um, it has. Um, people could uh, compensate and reward me directly for doing so. And maybe a share of the advertising revenue that was generated on this platform would actually be returned to the people who spend time on it, as opposed to specifically the uh, equity shareholders of a a company, for example. So if you could imagine, um, you know, essentially a social media platform running on the internet without a company actually governing it, um, you can see sort of the direction of travel that some of these uh, projects are sort of pursuing. And there are many many uh, startups right now working to do just things like that, a decentralized Airbnb, a decentralized Uber, a decentralized marketplace for labor, where people can pick up odd jobs and be compensated for that work without having to rely on a centralized platform that extracts uh, you know, fees and, and wealth, basically, from those transactions. And so um, it's going to take some time for these things to bake in, and I think just like uh, every technological evolution from the first iPhone to iPhone 2, now to iPhone 13, there are incremental improvements along the way, and sometimes there are some really big improvements. And uh, in many of these examples, um, you know, we see promise. We also think it's going to take uh, some time. And so one of the questions uh, I think we'd like to conclude with today, Garrick, is how can, how can uh, crypto curious people get involved in Web3 in a more meaningful way today?
0: Yes, that's, that's a great question. So, you know, it starts with, with, uh, you know, honestly opening up a wallet at a blockchain.com and, and, you know, acquiring your first crypto. I mean, that's the first step and learning the basics, uh, learning what things like private keys are and, and how to manage those. Or if you're not quite comfortable to take that step and and manage your own private cryptographic keys, opening up a custodial account, uh, again, with a blockchain.com and, and, starting to look at what projects you think are interesting in the web three arena. And it's a vast, vast world out there. There's thousands and thousands of tokens that exist today. You know, we've uh, we've listed on our platform, a number that we think are, you know, interesting and, and are available for you to, to acquire and start using. Um, I don't know, Nick, if you want to talk about the wallet connect, uh, you know, feature as well, and, and kind of how people who want to take the next step and engage more directly um, beyond just acquiring crypto is is kind of a first step to getting, yeah, getting access to Web3. Yeah,
1: really yeah, we're really committed to making sure we build an experience that basically enables individual users to passport into this future of decentralized applications. And uh, the Wallet Connect feature is a really important bridge that enables um, users of blockchain.com basically to interact directly um, with a variety of different uh, DeFi protocols, a variety of different decentralized applications. And so you can link up Wall Connect to MetaMask, uh, among many others, and um, we'll be soon publishing a blog post on these feature sets as well. And we'd welcome anyone to come and uh, test those features out and let us know how you think we can improve them too.
0: Thanks, Dix. So stay tuned for more Crypto Basics episodes. And to support you on your crypto journey, please come back and listen again to our podcast. If you're enjoying the show, please subscribe and leave us a review. Thank you. Thank you for listening and we hope you enjoyed the episode. And if you're enjoying our podcast, please rate us and leave a review as it really helps boost our visibility to more listeners. Also, if you have a topic you'd like to see us cover, please get in touch at the following email address, podcast at blockchain.com. Once again, that's podcast at blockchain.com.